You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Amen. If you will, take your Bibles again this morning and turn to Luke chapter 1 this morning. Good to see you and I trust that uh, this service finds you doing well and uh, looking forward to what God has for us in this season. And uh, we are just a few weeks removed. Uh, yesterday, is my math right, is two weeks from Christmas. So we're under two weeks now. So all of you with the 12 days of Christmas and all that you do around that, uh, be ready to tee that up tomorrow, I guess, but uh, I don't know everything about that tradition, but I uh, hope that uh, you're enjoying the season, looking forward to what God has for us today. Uh, first thing today I want to do is introduce to you something about next year, uh, and that would be reading the Bible through with us. So you'll see on the slide in front of you a new project that we're asking for your partnership in, and our guys are going to come, our young guys, if you will. This is a reading plan we're asking with you, uh, asking you to partner with us in whether you're part of our church family or just visiting with us today. But it is called Foundations 260. This will start on New Year's Day, uh, which would be uh, just a few Saturdays removed from yesterday as well. And uh, in that, we're asking you to read one chapter of the New Testament five out of seven days per week. So it's not a huge commitment, but it might be something that's new for you. Uh, And we're going to actually be integrating that into our small groups starting the end of January, so we'll talk more about that in detail. But some of you, I think, have already been working on what reading plan you're going to use for next year, and I wanted to blow all of that up. No, I'm just kidding, but at least give you a little bit of a heads up if you can also integrate this in, uh, and I think it'll be a great help to you. Whether you're part of our small groups or just with us, we're going to be working through the Gospel of John, uh, a large part of our Sunday mornings in the new year. Uh, And so reading through the New Testament will jive perfectly with that as well. So anyway, if you'd help us with that, and uh, we'll reference that, maybe even talk about our reading, we'll work that into our sermon some in the new year. Uh, And on January the 9th will be what is called our Vision Sunday, where I will talk more about the theme for the year and uh, initiatives that are built around that. And so I invite you to make plans now for that in just a few weeks. But I hope you join with us and reading through the New Testament uh, throughout next year. Luke chapter 1 today, let's pick up in verse 29. Luke chapter 1 and verse 29. And we have Mary. Uh, We just read about Elizabeth and Zacharias last week, and now we pick up with this story of Mary. She has just been approached by an angel sent from God. Verse 29, and when she saw him, Luke 1, 29, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind, but made her salutation this, notice that word this should be, The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Verse 33, And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Verse 34, Notice it, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing that I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So last time we looked at the story of Zacharias and uh, what God did in his heart to remind him uh, of the lessons and the teaching that we can glean from. And today we want to look at this statement. This 
the Christmas story makes nothing impossible. This story of Christmas, if it's true, means nothing. Nothing is impossible with God. And we'll get to that verse in verse 36 in just a moment. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the joy it is to be here today. Thank you that, Lord, your, your teaching and your truth and your love is not abstract. It is meant to be personally assimilated and applied in our lives. And we pray that you would help us to do that today, to realize that Christmas is not just about back then or there, but it is intended to have an impact here and now where we live and dwell and um, experience the ups and downs of life. And I pray that you would convince us today anew and afresh that with God, nothing is impossible. And Lord, if you could, through uh, the womb of a virgin, bring your glorious son to save us from our sins, then you can do anything. And I pray that we would be willing to yield to that, to acknowledge that, and then to share it with others during this sacred season. <laughs> Bless now this study. Be honored in it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I don't know if you have certain maybe Christmas legends or traditions that you've discovered after, especially as you got older, that are not true, you know, such as the, guy, the big guy in the red suit. I don't want to ruin anybody's narratives in your home this morning, but um, anyway, I'll leave it there. But probably some things you figured out are not true that maybe at one point you at least wanted to believe. There was a story in the Akron Beacon Journal just a few weeks ago, which I found fascinating. I love learning things about Worcester and Wayne County. I was born here in Worcester, but grew up over in Richland County, Mansfield area, Butler, Belleville area. And uh, there was a story in the Akron Beacon Journal just the other day. I did not know this. Maybe this is not new to you. But the article said this, for the better half of a century, America credited a man named August Imgard, a Bavarian immigrant who settled in Worcester, with decorating the first Christmas tree in America. And for over a century, that was the running understanding. Everybody in the United States accepted that. And then several years ago, that was debunked and I guess was disproven by other accounts of those who preceded him in decorating a Christmas tree. But they did say that this same man, um, August Imgard, was the first to use candy canes as decoration. So that's our claim to fame, Okay. Doesn't that just make you feel like, I mean, look at us, okay? The first guy that thought of decorating with candy canes, that's us. We're, that comes from our, our neck of the woods. Um, it's funny how as the years go by, things we used to believe and hold to be true are maybe uh, disproven. As it relates to Christmas, not only is it not too good to be true, and that's what we studied last week, also Christmas is possible. What happened is possible because God was involved in the, narr the narrative. And so whatever that means for you today, I trust that you'll be open to the statement that this makes everything possible. And one of the things I notice with every Christmas that goes by, if I'm thinking just in a fleshly way, I tend to become more cynical, more doubtful, more questioning if God can do something again in my space, in my life, in my family today. And I want to just push back on that with the help of the Lord, His Word, and His Spirit, that nothing is impossible uh, with God. And so the Christmas story uh, gives us that truth. Now the question today is this, in a day of regulating God and His activity to the ancient past, or maybe token nods in the present, how do we allow the full range of God's possibilities back into our lives? Do you believe that God can still use you? you believe that God loves you and he wants to work in your life and do things in the hearts and lives of others? What do we need to do to invite that mindset 
uh, back into our space. So let's talk about today two expansions of what's possible that are found for us here in the text that we begin with this morning. Number one, let's talk for a few minutes, first of all, about the fact that with Christ and with everything that he can do, first of all, we can overcome things that maybe seem impossible, overcoming possibilities. I want to show you a picture and see if you catch what is in the picture. So when you look at that picture, what do you see? I see a manger scene. Do you? Do you see something else, though? And once you see it, you can't unsee it? Here's, here's what one person described this picture as, a peaceful manger scene or two T-Rexes fighting over a table saw. <laughs> and and one, once you see it, I can't see the manger scene anymore. I have to be honest with you. Have you ever had it? Once you see something, you can't unsee it. Can I just tell you today, as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ, for God to come to the manger, to create the manger scene, as we would say, there was great resistance to that. We do know that, right? Not just T-Rexes that are the figment of our imagination, but real things that resisted and fought against what God was going to do in the life of Mary and her family. And so the possibilities uh, that God can do and overcome. May I say today that often we are prone to let obstacles, great and small, listen to me, tell us what God can do and not do. Since when is God defined by obstacles? Well, God, if he bumps into this, that's the limit of his power and his presence. Or, or, or when is something else an attack against him? When does that regulate our God to a place of impotence and not being able to impact us with his promises and truth? And so God is able to overcome the things that often limit what we view as possible. All right, let's talk about two of them. Number one, jot this down in your notes there in your bulletin. Allow God to overcome impossible fears. The first thing we see that God had to overcome in the heart of this young lady and in this day, and often in our lives as well, is the fears that are a part of our impossibilities. Allow God to overcome impossible fears. Go back to verse 29. And when she saw him, <laughs> notice this, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind, she's processing internally in her mind, her thoughts, what manner of salutation this, notice the word this, uh, should be. And so we see her grappling with troubled and fear, and God begins to answer those fears uh, with his truth. All right, what are a couple of fears that God wants to overcome? Number one, the fear of inadequacy, the fear of being inadequate. I remember years ago, um, one of the jobs I had in uh, high school, I actually did this before going to Bible college, was I worked for a siding contractor in Mansfield, and we worked long hours, and typically we were putting siding up on just these massive new builds. Now and then we do some of the older homes in downtown Mansfield, but a lot of it was new builds, the sprawl that was going on at the time in Mansfield. And I remember uh, we would often get up on what are called, there were two ladders, they'd have ladder jacks on them, and then we would have an aluminum plank that was probably 20, 25 feet long between those ladders. And I was a young guy just getting my head around working in the commercial setting. And so we would get up on this plank and we'd start hanging uh, siding on the side of a house. Usually I got put on the plank when it was three stories or up, you know, that was when I tended to have my, my time to shine. And I remember there was another guy I was with. I don't like heights, but they don't necessarily, you know, shut me down. But I remember getting up on that plank with a guy on the other end who was scared to death. And you could just feel, like I could feel the plank just shaking and thinking, you know what, why don't you just, I, I think I'd be faster by myself. I'd feel better about this 
if you weren't on the other end of this plank, because you're going to take us both down, as he would kind of just move slowly and grab things, and, and the thing would be shaking. You ever had God take you up, take you outside of your comfort zone, to where you're thinking, why me? Why now? And often the focus is more on us than it is upon God. And I think we see Mary here grappling with this feeling of inadequacy, and, and God begins to stir in her heart and use her despite where she feels intimidated. Listen, what's possible with God is not limited by what you're intimidated by or not. It's limited only by God's power and his provision, and so don't let your sense of inadequacy limit what God wants to do. Look at verse 30, and the angel said unto her, and we find these words all throughout the Christmas narrative, fear not Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And then back in verse 28, as we just read a moment ago, notice it says, thou art highly favored. Go down to verse 30, for thou hast found favor with God. It wasn't about what intrinsically Mary had. You know that many distort this text, do they not? And teach that Mary had intrinsic favor or virtue that merited her to be, quote, the mother of God. And often this, this text is distorted in that way. Notice that everything that Mary had that was an asset in the story, God gave to her. It wasn't what she had, it was what God had given to her, his grace and his favor that had been bestowed upon her. She was, the literal translation of the text is, grace, you are highly graced. The emphasis was upon God's grace in her life, not her own intrinsic character. And may I say to you today, if God can use an elderly lady to birth a prophet and a young virgin to bring his son into the world, then listen to me, our inadequacies are irrelevant to what God can do. You have a barren elderly lady that has a child. They went shopping for maternity clothes. I mean, think about that. You have a young virgin. This has never been done before. It'll never be done again. Since when is our inadequacies really the point of reference on what God can do? And so may we let the full range of God's grace and favor uh, be believed anew and afresh. All right, go back to verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Call his name Jesus. Number two, often we have fear not only of a sense of inadequacy, but number two, a fear of calling. A fear of calling. I don't know if you've watched, <laughs> excuse me, this season yet, or if you will, what's called, you know, It's a Wonderful Life, you know, the movie I'm referencing. Um, Some of the other day pointed this out to me. It was filmed in 1947. Um, and uh, by the way, another debunking, when a bell rings, an angel doesn't get its wings, okay? Just... <laughs> Now I've blown up everything that you believe in for Christmas, okay? But uh, the, someone mentioned this to me. They said, and it's true, I, I, I researched it. The, the filming of It's a Wonderful Life, when it was filmed in 1947, it is closer in time to the presidency of Ulysses S. Grant and the invention of the telephone by Alexander Graham Bell in the mid-1870s than it is to us today. It's closer in time. When calls began, when phones were picked up and communication began, something that we take for granted in our day. What about when God calls you? What about when God calls me? Often in that moment, we begin to focus on where I don't measure up to this calling. I don't have the ability to deliver, to bring to pass what God has indicated 
is to be a part of my life. Look at the calling that God gives to Mary. Notice as it relates to her son. First, as we read, uh, he will be, his name will be Jesus. Notice verse 32, he shall be great. Number one, this child she is to have, not only is the, the means of birth something that's profound and feels impossible, but the son to be born is to be a great son. Notice, go on in verse 32, and shall be called the son of the highest. Uh, Mary could not have missed the significance of this terminology, the son of the highest. You do know this in Jewish culture, son of meant more than just biological connection. Remember James and John, the sons of thunder. And the idea here is God is telling Mary, your son, as if a virgin birth is not a big enough deal, is going to be a carbon copy of Yahweh, of the God. And so the, the bigness of this calling that through her womb would come the son of the Most High. Next, notice it says, and as if that's not enough, and unto him shall he give the throne of his father David. Jesus now, as the descendant of of David will sit someday on David's throne and rule in the millennial kingdom. And so this is bigger than even this life that Mary would live and we who celebrate it today. Notice next, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. He will reign over Israel as king. Lastly, notice in verse 34, it says, or verse 33, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Remember David, God promised him this of his descendants. Mary, I believe here, begins to process this is the long-awaited Messiah. God's going to use my little life and my little womb and my little experience, and into it he's going to do the impossible. He's going to bring our Messiah. Sadly, we often turn our backs on God's will, not because we don't believe God not, is not able. We're just afraid to face our fears, the fears that come with experiencing what God has promised to us. Um, I was reading the other day an interview by a man who helped co-found a business called LinkedIn. I don't know if you're familiar with that, those of you involved in the business world. But he said this recently, ironically, in a changing world, playing it safe is one of the riskiest things to do. And what I find in our day is we as believers, we who claim that God can do anything, we are playing it safe. We're playing it safe when God never has really worked much in that space. He's worked in risky. He's worked in go all in on what he has promised. And are we willing anew and afresh this Christmas to not play it safe? Would you own today this Christmas where you want to play it safe again to avoid the take-your-breath-away possibilities of what God is able and willing to do through little old you and little old me? And what this morning is God clearly calling you to do and be that your fears are the only thing holding you back? Since when is fear our God? Since when is fear our sovereign? God is God. His word and our faith in it is what leads us forward. Allow God to help you come overcome impossible fears. All right, go back to our text now to verse 34. And there's a second category of impossibilities that often slow us down in celebrating fully what God can do. Verse 34, so she hears all of this rich theology and promise. And then notice her response in verse 34, then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be seeing I know not a man? Number two, jot this down, allow God to overcome impossible facts. So impossible fears, that would have more to do with our hearts. Secondly, impossible facts, that which engages our thoughts 
and minds. Um, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but we had in just a few weeks period where, you know, uh, car remotes, you know, where you point it, it's on your keychain, you point it at your car and it unlocks. I had trouble getting in my car because mine broke down. The battery went dead in it and, and I had to figure out, and I, especially locking it was a challenge without that battery. Cars now, you almost can't unlock and lock them without that remote. Have you ever changed the battery in those? So mine went dead and then Heidi's did as well. You literally have to almost be a brain surgeon to get into those dumb things. You got little screwdrivers, tweezers out, and you're trying to not you know, destroy all the buttons and everything in it, all to get power again to open and close a door. Aren't you grateful today that God is able not just to say stuff, but then deliver on what he promises? He, he's the power. Uh, his power is, is mind-boggling. His power is not limited to our set of facts and our reasoning. He is bigger than that. God is more than able to deliver in power on things that are greater than our set of facts. And so Mary here is not doubting. She's just wondering, how is this going to work? Because according to how I know things work, this is impossible, what you have promised. All right, two things about the facts this morning that God wants to overcome. Number one, the fact of what is normal the normal way of doing things. And Mary here realizes God's not going to do this the normal way. He's not going to do it the way I've seen it done in others' lives. It's going to be unique. It's going to be impossible from some perspectives. God is going to do something outside of normal. Mary here, by the way, in her question, doesn't seem surprised that the Messiah is going to come. And she's not doubting the way Zacharias was in our text last week because she's not rebuked in any way, right? She's just saying, how's this going to work? How's this going to work between where I'm at and what you've promised uh, to me? Now, notice the response of God, and I love this. This jumped out at me in a unique way this year as I was reading through it. What is God's response to her how? Verse 35, the angel answered and summoned unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon me. Here's the answer to Mary's how. It's the Holy Spirit. This is key this morning. The reason often we ask how with God when we're facing, quote unquote, an impossible situation, listen to me, is we're defining it only by our fleshly resources. You know, much of what God wants to do this Christmas, just like he did in this Christmas, is beyond our fleshly limitations. I'm not talking even carnal. I'm just talking our best, our bodily best, our physical best. God is not defined. He's not bound by what alone our flesh can generate. Later on in John 6 and verse 63, the son of this young gal, Mary, Jesus, now at the height of his earthly ministry, in John 6, 63, says this, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. That's the difference. And so may we be willing to believe God can work even outside of normal because his spirit is able to do more than our flesh. All right, look at verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, notice this now, the logistics, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, therefore that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Number two, jot this down, the fact of novel, N-O-V-E-L, something brand new, the fact of novel. Now, last time I checked, what, the Holy, what God says in verse 35 had never happened before, right? The Holy Spirit had never overshadowed a woman, and from that came 
a child, the Son of God. This was a new thing. Mary's Son would be God manifested in the flesh. And we cannot fully understand that, can we? I don't know how that worked logistically. I just know that God said it was going to happen, and it did happen. And if He could do it once, uh, He can do it again in my life as well. Just a thought today before we move on. I think sometimes new to us, the word new, N-E-W, how does that make you feel? When you hear something's new, does that make you nervous or does that make you get excited? All of us kind of trend one way or the other. Can I just remind those of us that maybe trend this direction, new is not always bad. New is not always impossible. Mary had to be open to something new. And just because it's never been done this way before, just because no one else has had God tell them what he's told you, doesn't mean God is not able to deliver on his promises. Um, I mentioned last week about how, as an adult, Christmas is about memories, right? And as a child, it's more about the anticipation. That's just how we tend to be wired. We're remembering the past as we age, and young kids are looking forward eagerly. I read the other day someone who said this. I, I think this is so true. There's nothing sadder in the world than to awake Christmas morning and not be a child. Not to feel the cold on your bare feet as you rush to the Christmas tree in the living room. Not to have your eyes sparkle at the wonderment of discovery. Not to rip the ribbons off the shiny boxes with such abandonment. It's just something about waking up and, I'm, man, I'm not a kid again this year for Christmas. Now, there's other things we enjoy as adults, right, that are uniquely a part of that as the years go by. But that eager anticipation, the, the freshness, the newness, have you lost that? Uh, in your logical approach to things that God is doing in your life. This question, and we'll move to our second main point today, since when is God bound to normal or the tried and true process alone? Here's the question. I want you to listen to this question today. Where is your logic, where is your reasoning limiting God? Well, I've witnessed that person now for years. I've prayed for them. I've tried to help and where are we bailing because we're limiting God to what's between our two ears? Are we willing to let God do the impossible despite the facts and despite our fears? All right, number two, if you will now, go down to verse number 36. And behold, I love this part of the story. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, this is where now the two stories that we've studied these two Sundays dovetails together. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, notice this, and this, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Number two, secondly, God gives to us affirming possibilities. One of the things I love about this, <laughs> this story is that God not only tells Mary, I'm going to do the impossible, but then he gives her affirmation that he can deliver on it. Aren't you thankful God does that? His word is not just, let me just blow your mind with what I'm going to do. God then backs it up with affirmation. Let me remind you what I did in the old days and what, I, what I'm doing right now. He, he gives not just you know, these big claims or promises, he also delivers on affirmation. Um, and so it helps us as we process this idea of nothing is impossible with God. Um, I don't know if you watch the news much. I don't watch much of it anymore. Just, it just, it, it's too much for me mentally, emotionally. But I try to keep abreast of things and what's going on. And I'm amazed, aren't you, how truth is stranger than fiction, as we would say? You know, like, that could not have happened. There's no way. And then you hear the story in the interview, and, man, I guess it could happen. The other day I read that I did not dig into the story, but here was the headline. Listen to this. 
man dead after alleged leaf blower attack during an argument over a pig. Like, does that make your brain just kind of, wait a minute, how in the world did all of that transpire? What's the story behind that? And when I hear that headline, I'm like, there's no way. That, that can't, some part of that story has to be fabricated just to get on the news uh, for the evening. Things that happen, but often we're tempted to not believe are real. Do you know why Luke begins with the story of Elizabeth and Zacharias? Yes, their son is going to be the forerunner of Christ. You know why, why he began? Because they would provide the affirmation to help Mary go through with what God had called her to do. That's amazing to me. The story begins with Elizabeth and Zacharias and their boy John to help Mary be open to what seemed and felt impossible, uh, this affirmation that God gives to her. And God wants to do the same for us uh, in our day. All right, let's talk about a couple of areas that God can give to us. Affirmation, that we are not foolish, we're not reckless to believe God can do anything. Number one, jot this down. Allow God to affirm with tangible confirmations. Tangible confirmations. And we see this in verse 36. This is the sixth month with her. The sixth month of what? Her pregnancy with her, notice... Uh, that was called, was called barren. Uh, She is now expecting. And so this tangible confirmation. All right, two things under that. Number one, confirmation of conception. We see that that if God can bring conception to this elderly lady, then God can bring conception to Mary uh, as a virgin. And so we see God affirming to her what is possible. Now, in verse 37, (laughs) we've yet to read it. It's kind of the heart of the text today. If you go there, it says in verse 37, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And I believe the way that the structure of the text is that that statement applies both to Elizabeth and to Mary. With both, what had been viewed as impossible was now possible. Nothing is impossible with God. And so this affirmation that God gave to Mary, can I ask you a question today? Are you picking up on or missing the signs all around you of God's confirmation? You're on the right path and God's leading. Are you picking up on those affirmations he's sending your way, the peace he gives you, the clarity he gives you, even the peace that defies your circumstances? Are you open to, are you receiving the confirmations that God sends your way. I just give you one example in our lives. One of the things that we do, as you know, our family, God has called us in counseling, pastoring here primarily, and then also doing some counseling. And I was just telling Heidi last night, I didn't even pick up on it. We've been getting Christmas cards and pictures and got one from Donna today. She always makes sure I get one. Some of you got one as well. She wants me to send her one, by the way, so I got to remember that. Um, but we started getting pictures, and some of the pictures we were getting are from families of folks we've had the privilege of counseling at a low moment where the marriage was maybe broken or heading that direction or there was strain in a relationship. And just to see those little affirmations, some of them for year, from years ago that we're still getting pictures in the mail from those families, just an affirmation, hey, God's using you. And whether you hear from them anytime soon or not, God's stirring and moving in their lives. And those affirmations, are you seeing those as a word or a response or some feedback that you're getting? Do you see what God's doing to confirm to you You're on the right path. And so this confirmation of conception, it had to soothe Elizabeth's heart to hear the impossible thing God did uh, with her cousin. All right, go to verse 38. 
So he makes the statement, and Mary, <laughs> Mary, now processing, says this, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Number two, confirmation of submission. Confirmation, <laughs> confirmation of conception. God was going to help her uh, conceive a child. Number two, God helps her submit uh, to his will for her life. Mary was willing to risk the disgrace and even the divorce to obey God's command. Her primary identity was, I am a handmaiden, I am a doulos, I am a slave of God. Whatever he wants, this God who can do the impossible, I yield, I submit myself to it. How are you relating to God's will for your life? Are you also submitting to it as the handmaiden of the Lord? God's confirmation is only available to those willing to submit to his impossible. Are you willing to submit to what he has for you? Um, the boys and I joke Heidi now and then. She loves candles. I don't know if you have anybody in your house who loves candles, especially this time of the year. When we blow out the candles before we go to bed, I'm always thinking, is the smoke alarm going to go off? I just, that's just being honest with you. Um, and we, we kind of joke her about that. She loves her candles. The other day I read a little poem about a candle that I thought is insightful as it relates to submission. Someone said this, a candle is a lovely thing. It makes no noise or stir at all. Listen to this but softly gives itself away. While quite unselfish, it grows small. Are we willing to give ourselves away to let God's impossibilities enter into our lives? I think a lot of it this morning is not what God can and can't do. Listen to me, it's what we're unwilling to let him do. I dare you to think about if you would say yes to God immediately, anything he calls and commands you to do, what could God do in your life? The right now to you and others feels and looks so impossible. What if we would just surrender and give ourselves away, grow small so that God might grow large? And so we see Mary willing to do just that. This morning, your lack of confidence in God has nothing to do with his power and ability and everything to do with your reluctance to submit to whatever, whenever, and however he chooses to do his will. See, I want God to do the impossible, but I want him to do it my way. Don't you? What about just saying, God, do it and do it however you want? That's what Mary does here. Sign the check and let God fill in the amount. Uh, write your, your name at the bottom of a blank sheet and let him fill in the specifics. Are you willing to surrender to these tangible confirmations and ultimately submit to what he's led you to do? All right, go to verse 41 now. Let's spend a few minutes in how this story resolves itself. I love this beginning in verse 41. Uh, let's go back to verse 39. Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted uh, Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. That's John. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. She spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And then here it is, verse 43. And whence is this? There it is again, the word to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Number two, jot this down. So we allow God to affirm us where we need, and he gives to us tangible confirmations. Number two, allow God to affirm you with verbal blessings. Verbal blessings. I was sharing this story with my wife the other day. She's a teacher, and it just it, it stirs me every time I read it. 
um, of a little girl who experienced the power of just a loving word, how it changed her life. And incidentally, this girl's, little girl's name was Mary. Story goes, Mary had grown up knowing that she was different from other kids and that and she hated it. She was born with a cleft palate and had to bear the jokes, the stares of cruel children who teased her nonstop about her misshapen lip, crooked nose, and garbled speech. With all the teasing, Mary grew up hating the fact that she was, quote, different. She was convinced that no one outside of her immediate family could ever love her. That is, until she entered Mrs. Leonard's class. Mrs. Leonard had a warm smile, a round face, and shiny brown hair. While everyone else in her class liked her, Mary came to love Mrs. Leonard. And then it told why. In the 1950s, and some of you may remember this, it was common for teachers to give their children an annual hearing test. In Mary's case, in addition to her cleft palate, she was barely able to hear out of one of her ears. Determined not to let the other children have another difference to point out, she would cheat on the test each year. The whisper test was given by having a child walk to the classroom door, turn sideways, close one ear with a finger, and then repeat something which the teacher whispered. Mary, in this, incidence, uh, in this incense, uh, incident, turned her bad ear toward her teacher and pretended to cover her good one. She knew the teachers would often say things like, quote, the sky is blue, or what color are your shoes? But not on that day. Surely God had put seven words in Mrs. Leonard's mouth that changed Mary's life forever. When the whisper test came, Mary heard the words, I wish you were my little girl. Can I just tell you today, God has gone on record verbally that he wants us to be a part of what he's doing. And what I love about the story here is that God goes audible, not just in the logistics of the birth of this child at conception, he affirms Mary in a very verbal, measurable way through the lips and through the life of Elizabeth. And so are we listening for those blessings that God gives us, those verbalizations of affirmation from our God? See, when the word became flesh, God went on record that he wants relationship with us that he was going to do the impossible, take enemies and make them friends, take those outside of his family and include them in his family. And so it's not about what we deserve or what's even possible. It's about the blessing that God has offered to us. All right, let's talk about two of these blessings as we finish today. Number one, go back to verse 41. You notice that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Ghost. She spake out loud and said, blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Number one, jot this down, blessing of perception. Blessing of perception. One of the things I'm grateful for in my life, and probably you have these as well, is aren't you thankful when someone perceives something in you that God is doing before you do? Mary had heard the revelation, but now to have someone she knows that knows her affirming and perceiving God's in this and I, I'm responding to this. This moves me. I'm excited about this and affirming in this had to have warmed this young gal's heart as she processed what God had called her to do and be. And so we see that God not only gave salutation to Mary through the angel, he also gave her salutation through someone she knew well. That is Elizabeth. Um, now, before we get to that salutation in detail, did you notice what Mary did that we read back in verse 39 and 40? She arose in those days and went into the hill country with 
haste. What Mary did is she ran toward the affirmation that God offered to her. Do you notice that? She didn't run to the cynics. Let me go talk to mama about why this cannot happen. I'm going to talk to my friends. She went to the one God had said who was already experiencing the impossible in her life. She was proactive. Some of our doubts is because all we're listening to are the doubters and the haters, and we're frequenting where they live and their their existence and how they feel about things instead of being with those that believe God can do anything, that nothing is impossible with God. And so she runs toward Elizabeth, and as a result of that, God provides to her this affirmation we're about to read. Now, before we get to what Elizabeth says, notice that as soon as she hears the voice of Mary, the babe, John, now at six months of age, he, he leaps, he moves in the womb, and you ladies could, could attest to what that feels like, but moved by the voice, moved by the promise of God that was upon Mary. What a glorious affirmation. The same spirit who had mysteriously enabled her as a virgin to bring forth the Son of God had moved in the womb to provide this, uh, this affirmation, this audible affirmation uh, to Mary. Now let's talk about for a moment the words of Elizabeth. Notice first that she has a prophetic knowledge. Did you see that? Blessed, verse 42, loud voice, blessed art thou among women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb. She begins to affirm uh, this one who inhabits the womb of Mary. Verse 43, and whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The mother of my Lord, capital L. She had begun to anticipate and God had given her, I believe through the Holy Spirit, a sense of the significance of this child. Again, saying out loud what God had already promised to Mary, the affirmation through the lips of Elizabeth. Verse 44, for lo, excuse me, lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, she's now sharing what has just happened, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Verse 45, and blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And so basically Elizabeth says, you're not a fool to believe what God has told you. This is going to happen. Oh, what a refreshment that must have been to Mary to hear from the lips of a family member that God was going to follow through on what he had promised. Just a question to you today as it relates to perception. Who has God providentially put in your life to help you believe the impossible? Like, who has God put in your life that's affirming and trying to challenge you to believe God anew and afresh that He can still work and He can still move? And are you availing yourself of that voice? Are you opening up your heart and life to the influence of that individual God has sent your way? Where are you missing these affirmations? Where can you be more open uh, to them? And I would say my prayer is this, as I look across this room today, my prayer is that when you come here, that you leave believing God can do the impossible. But I'm telling you, I regularly see it, and sometimes it's yours truly as, as well. I shut myself off to the anthems, the songs we just sang that talk about he's coming back and he's king and he's going to right all wrong. Are you opening yourself up to those affirmations? Am I doing the same? May God help us as we enter this Christmas season. All right, let's end today with this great song, if you will, the Magnificent, as it's been called, of Mary. Go down to verse 46. So Mary processes the affirmation. She hears it. 
And now notice in verse 46, it shifts from Elizabeth talking to Mary. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Lastly, jot this down. Allow God to affirm with not only the blessing of perception, but number two, the blessing of audience. This is a key today, a blessing of audience. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but Christmas just makes you, at least for a few moments before you remember the dysfunctions of your family, you want to get around people, right? Um, and uh, we joke about that. Some of you are grieving loss today, and I don't treat that lightly, but there's just something about being around others, whatever that looks like at this stage of life. One author said this, isn't it funny that at Christmas, something in you gets so lonely for, for I don't know what exactly, but it's something you don't mind so much not having the rest of the year. You just, you want to be with others. For a lot of us, we want to be with those who have preceded us into eternity. And what's amazing about this with Mary is that God gives her someone to process this with. Not just, listen to me, to hear from them, for Mary to hear from Elizabeth, but for Elizabeth to hear what Mary says, uh, to sing about what's impossible that God's about to do. And so the blessing of audience that God gave to Mary. Who else could Mary go to right now? Who else would have sat through the song she's about to sing except an elderly lady that just saw God do something she had been tempted to give up on? God gave her the hand-picked audience to let her just sing her heart out to the Lord. Uh, and so we need to be sensitive and perceptive of those that God puts in our life for that same reason. This season of processing the impossible with Elizabeth wasn't just for Mary to listen, but also to be heard. And so we see this gift from God as Mary now sings. Now, before we break down these verses quickly, Mary here, though it was God's grace and favor that qualified her to be the mother of Christ, shows a rich understanding of the Old Testament in this song. She was not a slacker. She had prepared. She was studious. She knew the Old Testament. And we see that just oozing out of these verses as she worships now the Lord in the presence of Elizabeth. All right, let's talk about this praise quickly and some ways in which we can maybe grow from that. First, go to verse 46. So she magnifies the Lord. Notice now the specifics. My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Verse 49, for he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. If you're taking notes, you could jot down these couple of blessings if this helps you unpack the text. First, Mary praises the Lord for what he has done for her. So she begins with what God has done uh, for her. Notice that she said, all generations will call me blessed. She would not be the one who confers the blessing, but the one who would be blessed. And notice that she refers to God as her what? Savior. And so acknowledging her own need and how God had met that need and would meet that need through Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that Mary doesn't make this about her? And I think she would cringe, to say the least, to see some of those under the pretense or the sincere desire of religiosity to focus on her. Can I just challenge us today not to make it about us when God does the impossible? The temptation is when God does the impossible, we write a book about it and we go on a tour and tell others how we got God to do the impossible for us. That's not the point of God doing the impossible. He wants to get glory. 
And are we poised and ready, as Mary does here, to give he who alone is mighty all of the credit, he who has done the great things and the impossible things, holy is his name alone. All right, verse 50. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered with the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Verse 52. He hath put down the mighty from their seats. Notice that. And hath exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent empty away. Secondly, jot this down. She praises the Lord for his mercy on those who fear him in every generation. She praises the Lord for his mercy on those who fear him in every generation. I love that she stresses the generate from generation, the end of verse 50, from generation to generation. Can I just say this today for the benefit of our young people that primarily are to my left, your right, and for all of us today? God doing the impossible is not for just one generation. I know there's a lot in our world today in the context in which we're living out our faith. There's so many things that say it's impossible, but I'm telling you, God doesn't change. His power, His presence, His promises. And if we stop believing that nothing is impossible with God, what do we give to the next generation? We wonder why they're jaded and they're cynical and they're doubting and they're fearful. We've forgotten to live it and and give with our lips as well the testimony that the impossible things of God can still be done, not just in our generation, but the ones to follow. I love that she stresses from generation to generation. By the time we get to this point in the story between Joseph, who's a descendant of David, and Mary, who's a descendant of David, we don't have time to get into that this morning, the Davidic line had been so watered down and diluted as far as its influence and leadership. And it was in that moment that God then begins to deliver on the promise to David. It's just fascinating that in this generation, God chose to begin to fulfill those very promises. All right, look at verse 54. He hath hopen, or he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spake as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Thirdly and lastly, she magnifies the Lord for his faithfulness to Israel and keeping the promises he had made to Abraham and to his seed. May I just say this this morning, God doing the impossible, lest you get overly nervous or uncomfortable, is not something that's done arbitrarily. It's not like God does the impossible in some weird, strange, isolated way. He does the impossible to fulfill his promises. He makes big promises and then he delivers on them. And so Mary's very careful here to acknowledge and submit to the fact that God's simply following through and what he had promised to Abraham and to his descendants. And through her child, this son of God would be the, the fulfillment of those blessings. The other day I heard someone say this, there is nothing, there's nothing that sin has done that won't be addressed by the life, death, and resurrection of the child in the manger. There's nothing that God's not going to resolve. Any open-ended promise, any unresolved wrong, The child in the manger, the one coming through the womb of this young gal, would be the one that would fulfill and deliver on everything that God had promised. So may we believe anew and afresh that's possible in our day. Are you willing today to go on record that you believe God can truly and will truly do the impossible in your life? 
not just someday, but today, this Christmas, not just some Christmas. As a result, would you not play it safe? Would you live out loud that you truly believe that with God all things are possible? Let's end today in Acts 4. Would you go there for a moment? The same human author, Luke, wrote the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 4, we're now fast-forwarding. Christ has lived his life. He's been crucified, buried, and resurrected. He's ascended to heaven. And we have the fledgling local church that's beginning to take steps in the direction God has for it. And in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, we find an interesting verse describing the followers of the Son of Mary, who more importantly is the Son of God. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. Before we get to that, I just want to give this illustration. I think I mentioned this before. I read a biography about the Wright brothers a year or so ago. We were in Kitty Hawk a couple of summers ago on vacation, and uh, so I read a book on them. But it was interesting. (laughs) The story goes, in December 1903, after many attempts, the Wright brothers were successful in getting their flying machine off the ground. So this is pre-calling it the airplane. So they accomplished that. Thrilled, they telegraphed the following message to their sister Catherine, quote, we have actually flown 120 feet, we'll be home for Christmas. Catherine, the sister, hurried to the editor of the local paper and showed him the message. He glanced at it and said, how nice, the boys will be home for Christmas. (laughs) Missing, the man for the first time in human history had flown. Can I just tell you on this Christmas, if we're not careful, we get stuck on the low-level, just normal aspects of this season instead of God came in the flesh and therefore everything's possible. Where's the higher things we're missing of the glory of God and His purpose? Now, with that in mind, look here in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. The pastor I was listening to the other day as he was preaching through this text, he made this statement, and I would echo the sentiments, and I trust you as well. Here's his prayer. Lord, I want a life that can only be explained by your presence. Amen. Lord, I want a life that can only be explained by your presence. Amen. Where's the prayer of the impossible? God, do something. Do it today. Do it in my life, just like you did in Mary's. Prove yourself. Reveal yourself. Lord, I want a life that only can be explained by your presence. May I just say today as we finish, the local church, starting with North Life Baptist Church, a descendant of God's plan that we've alluded to here in Acts chapter 4, is a place not just to whisper, but shout what is possible, to declare what is possible with God. You were to ask me today, Pastor, what gets you up every Sunday? What keeps you going in the ministry? There are a lot of perks and blessings and benefits that I have as a, as a pastor, but none bigger than this that keeps me going. Everybody in this room, starting with me, is one decision away from God doing something amazing. One moment of surrender, mom, one moment of, of stepping out in faith, one decision to get in the Word and then broadcast it. I don't know what the decision is for you, but we're one moment away from God doing impossible things through people like you and me. And so here's the question, and we'll pray. Will you allow God to convince you that Christmas boldly declares that God is fully able to, over and, uh, to overcome 
and to infer, to affirm what we view as impossible. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today.